You are listening to Forging Employee Experience. I'm Josh Green, and I'm very excited to be with you today, as well as we have an amazing guest on the show. We have Dr. Laura Wendt. Dr. Laura, how are you today? Hi, Josh. I'm really great. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you all the way from Germany. Well, I guess you're in Italy right now, but uh, all the way across the pond, we're so excited that you carved out some time out of your day to join us on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be there. And it feels like we're just having coffee together in some place around the world. So <laughs> That's a genius of technology. And I, and I exactly. absolutely love it, which is interesting because it kind of ties into what you do a little bit. Uh, Dr. Laura is the global leader of culture and inclusion at AT Kearney, and you have quite a job. It sounds like you do a lot of traveling as well. So tell us a little bit about like, what does that job entail? How did you land yourself in this position? And, and, and what is that passion that drives uh, the work that you do? Wow. <laughs> Those are a lot of questions. <laughs> and I, hope <laughs> yes. I, don't talk, I hope I don't talk your ear off. So, um, yeah, my journey is also very diverse and very different. So I started to get into culture and DNI all the way back, maybe in 2001, when I was working um, after my high school in um, some NGOs in India and also in Canada. And I was really fascinated about cultural differences. And this ultimately led me to study um, neuroscience and psychology and this is also where I got my PhD and I was always so fascinated in human beings how we are all having the same brain but what makes us different and how the same situation can have different effects on human beings and um, back in 2010 it's almost 10 years ago I started to teach medical students also on unconscious biases because Back then, I couldn't believe that um, those were, you know, the greatest future doctors, mm -hmm. but um, they all had unconscious biases. And that's when no one really talked about that, right? Uh, it wasn't this trendy right. thing. Um, and when, when I found some studies that doctors um, prescribe different medication, depending on the color of your skin, or if you're attractive, or the way you talk, it was totally astonishing. So... We did a lot of practicing there and I ultimately left science because I really wanted to apply my knowledge into business. So I started as a classic management consultant with the um, global consultancy firm AT Kearney. And that was exciting as well because I was always a traveler. I always wanted to see as many cultures, people and businesses as possible. And while I was working with all these different companies, I learned so much in these two years. I really started to miss um, the neuroscience inside of me or the social science. Mm -hmm. And I um, started to develop trainings on the side because I noticed so many things in the cultures that I was working in externally and internally. And ultimately, to make a long story short, I started to develop, um, it's more than um, half a dozen trainings now um, that all wow. are related around culture. And in order to you know, get everyone excited and get them on board, I used um, a lot of brain research because everyone is very interested in how our brains are operating. So that's, that's what I'm including there. Wow. And when you say 12 trainings, that's quite a bit of content. It obviously sounds that you have a very strong passion for this industry. And, and it's interesting because you're right. We, we, we work really hard to 
believe that we are, um, we have a focus on diversity and inclusion, but where is the training behind that? And, and, and what are we doing in the workplace to focus on culture? You know, right now it seems like a lot of organizations are either uh, culture is great and let's focus on it. And that includes putting a mission statement up in the break room or some organizations say, well, we're not here for culture, we're here for results. Um, but, but why is it so important to fo focus on work culture in today's workforce? Yeah, uh, so I think it always has been really important, but um, the, the communication about it got louder. And I mean, a lot of people now when we talk about culture automatically talk about millennials. And um, they usually say, hey, you know, we need to attract the millennials. And if you want them, you need to have diversity and inclusion. So you're right. Everyone puts out a mission statement, although a lot of companies don't really know what that means and how that looks mm -hmm. like in reality. And they want transparency and also they're seeking personal development, feedback. And it's all these very soft human interactive areas. If you really look at these um, needs and wants, um, first of all, I think it's um, wrong to say, hey, this is something millennials want. I think it's a luxury that now we ask for these things at work um, because I think um, our grandparents and parents also wanted that, but they couldn't, they, there was no time to ask for it. They had to produce and deliver a service. And um, now that all our work becomes more and more relational, I think, um, yeah, it, really, it is a luxury, and it's great that we can ask for these things. So, um, however, why is it so important? Because, of course, we are connected right now across the pond, and that's how all business is working right now. So we need to be culturally sensitive because we have a lot more diversity when we work together. And um, I think what's fascinating about this, it's ultimately all about relationships, Mm. And as we and as we all know, because I also consult um, Fortune 500 companies, and it's kind of sweet in a way, um, innocent. When I'm, for example, asked, "Hey, you know, give us three action points: how to fix the culture in the next year." Mm -hmm. And um, if you come and and the issue about culture or the challenge, the fun challenge, it's all about how human beings interact, and um, if human beings would know how to interact in peace and that everyone is feeling well, then, well, we wouldn't have such high statistics of divorces, right? And all the issues that are happening in families and friendships. Right, right. So <laughs> that's what I always say. So I'm, of course, I can give action points and things that we can do. But ultimately, if we look at culture and creating how, you know, how respectfully we work with one another or communicate, mm -hmm. um, ultimately, it's an ongoing process of forgiveness, unfortunately, like all relationships, and also to stay humorous and curious. I think that's very important and not to get involved in your own drama and get cynical. So, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's so important to remember. You know, so often organizations are looking for the low-hanging fruit so that they can get back to work. And what you've highlighted is that culture is foundational. We have to get this in place before the relationship even works. And once we can establish that relationship, that's when the organization starts to move, starts to grow and achieve amazing results. But it's not something that just happens over time. It, it takes time. So, so what is your response there when you say, actually, Working on culture is difficult. It's hard. It's <laughs> it's going to take some effort and some taking a step back. 
what what is what is the response to that and how, and how do you help them through that yeah so i think humor is really important and um especially when i say you know culture relationships it's an ongoing constant forgiveness because that's what we have to do ultimately when we are with other human beings and i always use examples from neuroscience and philosophy and stories and i think that makes it um, easier to understand and of course there are trainings how to get started but um, to share just one example one of my favorite philosophers uh, schopenhauer he mm. compared um, us human beings working together living together in a very fun way how porcupines are together um, doing a <laughs> and i love that picture what kind of a porcupine are you so let's just imagine we're all porcupines and we have winter and we need to get closer together in our culture we need to collaborate and work together and the porcupines need to stay warm but the thing is they all have sharp spines right we all have our interesting character traits of course we all think hey, I'm, you know, I have the best intentions and we're always surprised how we can step on somebody else's toes. But it's due to, just like the porcupines, we have these spines. And it's all about in the culture to figure out um, how to get close enough to keep warm, but at the same time to accept, you know what, it's inevitable, we're going to sting one another. Mm. And it also all depends on the culture. Like, for example, when I was working in Germany, I was often told... Um, that I was too quiet, I should speak up more. And when I started working in Canada, I received the feedback, wow, you're really bold. <laughs> <laughs> and that was quite fascinating. And, and that also um, illustrates that imagine, you know, a new employee is coming and he has a very different coat on, like a spinal coat. Um, you can understand that it's really stressful and frustrating to understand, okay, so, you know, how close do I get into this culture with the people? And um, what is rewarding? What is hurting the others? And I think it's a constant figuring out and you're never really there. Mm -hmm. So I think that story really helps me to oh, yeah. view it with humor. <laughs> it, it is, a, uh, I think, a perfect description of it. And, and it helps us kind of frame it in a way to realize, yeah, we're, we're human beings, we are imperfect, we see things extremely differently, we're prickly and we're gonna hurt each other. And it's not that I'm trying to, it's just we're, we're trying to work together and we have all of these characteristics that might stick out a little bit further than <laughs> you might like. So, yeah. so that's, that's interesting. And tell me a little bit more about uh, how, how culture has changed over the years. It's been interesting to, to watch the shift happen from, you know, maybe in the 1950s, it was very much a nine to five and it's a work during the day at home, you leave the office and it's a completely different life. It's fully uh, separated, but now there's this work-life integration where, you know, we can meet across the pond and we can have meetings at eight o'clock at night and some people don't want to come to the office because they do their best work at home and, and vice versa. So I'm curious what you've seen in your, in your consulting and your traveling in organizations, what, what is starting to change? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, wow. That's an amazing question that we could philosophize like for two hours at least yeah. <laughs> around. Um, I think one aspect is really important because it is so messy and it's so global and um, to, get away from you know work-life integration or balance I honestly 
have no idea how this um, horrible way of saying this ever made it out and now everybody's referring to it because I would find it very sad to say um, work life because does it mean I'm not alive when I'm working? Sometimes mm -hmm. I feel most alive when I'm working and I think um, it, it is so powerful in our words. That's also part of my past research where, for example, if you just tell people um, they can have side effects and you tell them what kind of side effects they can have, although I give them, you know, a sugar pill, a placebo, mm -hmm. how interesting it is that um, sometimes in some of my studies, half of the participants develop these side effects I told them they would get even up to diarrhea, you know, quite fascinating. So I honestly do believe um, that the way how we frame it already has a huge influence how engaged we are and how open we are. So if we know, okay, this is all life, it also does something to our brain. And um, as we all know, if we feel like we're belonging, we have, you know, leaks, friends and colleagues, they are also merging, they, they can be part of our family. It, it, we um, have, we are more engaged, we're more efficient, and we have the best work output. And of course, some leaders just, you know, hear this and they're like, oh my gosh, it has an influence on revenue and bottom line. So great. And now they want to invest into this. And um, what I'm also often referring to is um, the ancient Greek mathematician and inventor Archimedes. The story when he had his best idea and yelled out Eureka when he went and had a warm bath. Mm -hmm. He basically, you know, he realized, okay, that his goldsmith was cheating him because he realized he can now measure the density of gold because he saw how much, you know, his body um, what kind of volume it had and how much water submerged. So he had this amazing light bulb moment. And why am I saying this? It's very interesting. And we all had this experience. We often get our best ideas, um, not just in the bathtub or under the shower, but also when we're out with friends, when we're relaxed, when we are doing sports or just hanging out somewhere. Yes. And it is totally, um, it totally makes sense because um, in, in those situations where we are relaxed, we have lots of different hormones and neurotransmitters we're um, producing and uh, which have positive effects on our brains, which basically means if you feel safe, and this is where inclusion is so important, um, you're more likely to develop the best ideas at work. So mm. I think that's why it also became like an Eureka moment for a lot of you know, CXOs as well to say, okay, we need to provide that safe environment and that it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm working now because work means stress and we tense up and we block our brains, but we say, hey, I'm hanging out with friends today. I'm developing great ideas. This can be even sometimes more fun than watching Netflix, for example. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's that inclusion uh, component that is so important. I just, I love how you said that. And you, you mentioned the brain. You, you keep bringing up this neuroscience portion, which I'm fascinated to learn more about. I know you run these neuroscience of inclusion workshops and some of the experiences that you share there. What's, what is it about understanding the brain that helps us um, increase our inclusion and diversity in the workplace? Yeah. So, and, and it's true. Um, it's um, um, great that you're mentioning the trainings because um, some of the basic trainings are all about creating awareness. And um, maybe some people feel offended because they're like, what do I need to become aware, not, aware of, right? I mean, I don't mind diversity. I love inclusion, but it goes way beyond. And often 
it's almost like the LGBTQI plus movement where we say, yeah, it's great. And we put out rainbows, but we don't really have the conversations and learn what um, non-heterosexual individuals go through on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why it is is so important, first of all, to understand what kind of human beings are we? And um, our hard wiring is still, according to thousands of years ago, where it was so essential to be part of a tribe and our brain developed that um, it, it's in high alert and it's life-threatening if we're not part of a group or if we're rejected mm-hmm. because that's how it used to be and our environment just changed too quickly. So what I find most convincing about this is that we have the same brain area is involved when we experience social and physical pain. This totally blew me away. So um, so if you are rejected, also in a social context, the same area in your brain is active as when you have a headache. And wow. Yeah. And, and uh, there's an amazing research where um, some study participants took Tylenol every day for three weeks. And um, there, there was also a control group. And both of them got rejected or, you know, excluded from, from a social group. And the interesting thing is when you were swallowing Tylenol, like a painkiller, um, you felt less rejected and less pain and it was it had benefits on, on you. So I think that's totally astonishing. Wow. So it's like an emotional benefit. Yeah. So, so and, and it manifests itself physically. And I mean, we also become more and more aware today, aware today in, in the workplace when we talk about mental health and psychosomatic, you know, how the how your environment influences your body and your immune system. And um, we just start to understand and that's really fascinating. And I think um, why this is fascinating, I think there's also, um, which you can observe also in politics, when we talk about our two regions, you know, in Europe and in North America, the more we hear about culture and DNI and these social soft topics, the more resistance is also rising of people mm-hmm. who want back, you know, the old way and think, I don't want to walk on eggshells. This is annoying. Why are we talking about our feelings? But I think if you talk about the brain, I have made the experience then um, a lot of CXOs started to think about it and said, okay, wow. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating that you can measure that, that, you know, the brain reacts when I get rejected. And we all must have made this experience, I mean, at least I have, where if you don't feel comfortable by a boss or you don't really feel you belong to your team, then really it, it almost, you almost want to say, okay, there's work life because work feels like a punishment and you're not as effective. But if you have a great team and you feel like they're your friends, you belong, you have purpose, even if you work after 8 p.m. you're just having so much fun mm-hmm. and right. um, yeah and that's yeah. due to that as well hmm. that's that's absolutely fascinating and i'm curious how um how do organizations react to these workshops as you go in and as you do your follow-ups are you seeing that take hold are you seeing cultures change and shift yeah so of course (laughs) it would be fantastic if it's like a due diligence and you can measure it immediately after three weeks (laughs) but um it's it's an ongoing process and our brains learn by building habits so it's important to um first of all first step is to create awareness 
and to start um, to start to think and to start to get curious and to notice because often we were not aware of a lot of things that are important to us as human beings and I think in the next step of course we have um, a framework an AT Kearney framework where we say okay here are five things that you can do and start to rule out and that can remind your brain of change and this is how you build some habits but ultimately because again it's about relationships it needs to come from all sides it needs to come from mm. leadership all ranks all you know <laughs> project areas anything and i think there's there's it's a slow snowball effect when people start to notice people start to ask questions um for example one company told me this um, and that's why it's sweet in a way. I think it's so important to stay passionate and compassionate with human beings and ourselves mm. because a lot of these hurts that happen that feel like a headache, um, I would say most people are more than sweet and very well-intentioned. And um, no one really wakes up in the morning and says, you know, hooray, today I'm going to hurt somebody. But it's rather sometimes we're unsure. We don't really have these honest conversations. So we ask questions that are well-intentioned. But those can ultimately, you know, cause others to feel a little bit out of place or not like belonging. Right. Um, or even, and this is what this um, company shared with me, where they gave a gift to everyone who was with the company for 10 years and they got the, mo the most amazing uh, bottle of champagne. And uh -huh. yeah, I guess you already know what's happening, but I mean, it was, it was the best intention, but they had a lot of um, employees who were Muslims. And of course that wasn't a really fitting gift for them. And they felt out of place and they often did because they already often got asked, you don't drink, what's wrong with you? You know, mm -hmm. Hey, why don't you also right. have a beer? And um, I think if you, because I don't want us human beings to start to walk on eggshells and it's um, we all make mistakes. And I think um, it's, it's really important to get back to being curious and to just find out, okay, what's the intention behind it. And um, then you can also have a conversation and, and share your story. Oh, I love that. That's, that's amazing. And you, you touched on something right there at the end that, you know, the, the end goal is to create a safe and positive work environment where people feel like they can participate and they do belong in all aspects. And that goes for the people who are the potential offenders and, and vice versa. It's, it's how do we create a place where we can um, grow as a team, that we can build this culture and own it, that we can be responsible for all of it. And um, this has been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you so much for your insights. How can our listeners keep in touch with you? Yeah, uh, thanks as well for having me. It's a delight. And uh, I could talk your ear off, So, but I know <laughs> <laughs> you have time constraints. So if uh, listeners would like to hear more, I have um, some other podcasts and webinars and articles published. And I'm also publishing my first book next year. So I would love to get in touch and if they can reach out to me. And I think um, I've sent you my LinkedIn and Twitter uh, links. So if you could include, include those, um, I would be delighted if people reach out to me there, if they have questions or would like to learn more or find out more. Absolutely. We will definitely include those in the show notes. And you've got our listeners salivating for your new book that's uh, 
something very exciting, I'm sure, for all of us. So if there's any way that we can get uh, pieces of that contact, that content through blogs or following you on your LinkedIn, I'm sure that these listeners will be jumping all over that. So thank you again so much for your time. We've had a wonderful conversation and we look forward to having you on the show again soon. Thank you so much.